Good evening. Welcome to the class. Um, I think what I'm going to do tonight is just really quickly go through reviews, Stacy, since uh, you've joined us tonight. And I'm sure Craig has been telling you uh, what we talked about last week. But it's also good for me and for you to kind of review where we're at. Um, this is a class on studying the Word of God. And as we talked about last week, what do we mean by the Word of God? We mean the truth about God that God communicates to human beings on earth. The Word of God is true. It is powerful. There are many scriptures that talk about the power of the Word of God and the different kinds of the words of God and, and how it's useful. Tonight we're going to talk about the Word of God as expressed through the Bible. Um, the Word of God is communicated directly from the you know, God through the Holy Spirit to human beings. Then the Word of God can also be transmitted from human being to human being, both in spoken and written form. What we study in this class is the written form of that that we call the Bible, which is just Greek for uh, books. Um, Biblia is the, is the um, plural Greek word for books, and that's what Bible became. The Bible that we have as Christians is authoritative Word of God. The Word of God um, has been communicated to human beings for thousands of years, but over time it was written down and put together into a collection of what we call authoritative writings by many smart people under the direction of the supernatural influence of the Holy Spirit. We consider everything in the Bible, which for Christians is the Old and New Testaments, to be true. The Bible contains many literary genres, and they essentially fall into one of two categories. Figurative language, and this is language like parables, poetry, music, song, and literal language. This is historical, factual accounts. Because sometimes it's difficult for human beings to read a passage and know for sure whether a passage is figurative or literal, these are the kind of the rules I have for our class to make it simple. What I say is, we accept as human beings that there are many passages in the Bible that are figurative, meaning they are kind of generalizations with a kernel of literal truth that help explain con concepts and complex material um, to other people. Um, an example of this might be in, um, I believe it's Isaiah, where it says, uh, the trees clap their hands. Um, another, if you're a Protestant, might be uh, Jesus when he says, take, eat, this bread is my body. Uh, we consider that to be figurative. It doesn't mean it's not true, and it's very important to remember that all language in the Bible is true and has true meaning. But whether we interpret that as the trees actually have physical hands that are clapping, or that we are consuming the, um, you know, the muscle cells and the red blood cells of, of Christ, that is a, a bit more of an open question. So, for this class, I encourage us to, to accept two things. One, that yes, there is much figurative language in the Bible that communicates God's truth to us, but we must be willing to accept that any passage we read in the Bible could be literal. If you accept that as your root kind of guiding compass for this class, that frees you from having to worry about things like, is Genesis poetry? It could be. It could also be literal. But if you accept, and I must insist on this for this class, that any passage in the Bible could be literal, then something like a six-day creation could be true. 
And there are many smart people that argue both ways. In this class, we accept it could be literal, and thus your personal beliefs about whether it's poetry or not, you can have them, but you must be willing to accept that it could be literal. If we do that, we free ourselves from having to argue, we free ourselves from Satan driving a wedge between us, and we can focus on what God is really trying to tell us. Okay. I think that is good. The, what, what is the Word of God and why do we care? I kind of tell people the Word of God is critical for communicating the big pictures, uh, the big questions of, of what God has to speak to us to human beings, and it makes us better disciples. My goal for this class is to help you become a better disciple of Jesus. There are four pillars that I say are the foundation of discipleship. Make better disciples. Those pillars are study, practice, being taught, and teaching others. Study, meaning to study the Word of God. Practice, meaning to put it into practice. I hope this class will be very interesting for you. And we talk about many things. Archaeology, history, um, manuscripts, languages, people, cultures. But that's all rooted in the point being to make you a better disciple. So what I am going to encourage you to do is as we learn about God and the Word of God in each of these classes to figure out how you can apply that to your life. What is the real application you can take home with you at night and start applying to yourself? And if you do that, you can start to understand you know, your, your purpose in this world, God, who is, who is God, who is man, um, why are we here? You allow yourself to be taught you can receive revelation directly from the Holy Spirit, but it's often confusing, Or, and that might be why you're here. You might have questions about certain passages. That's why you get taught by someone who knows the Bible. And like I like to say, you don't have to have a PhD in theology to teach. You just have to understand it at some level, and then you can teach something to someone. Um, I have been studying the Bible for decades. I was an ordained elder at my last church. And so I'm, I feel confident I can teach the entire Bible. Um, but when you go out into your life, as you start to learn pieces and parts and core messages, you're ready to tell someone else about that immediately. You don't have to wait until you get some kind of fancy degree. And, and that's why I say teaching others is critical because when you're ready, at whatever stage that's at for what you know, you can go ahead and pass that on. Okay. Tonight we're going to pick up in Genesis chapter 2. Now, as we talked about last week, we went into a lot more about what I just covered here, and that took about half the class. And then we got into the Word, and every week we will read um, at least one, two, maybe three chapters uh, of the Word of God in the Bible, and then we'll talk about it. This is an interactive class. I hope um, it, it's not just me lecturing, and I like feedback, questions, um, and, and that's where you're going to learn, and I'm going to learn from you too. Before we get into Genesis 2, maybe who would like to kind of sum up what did we learn from Genesis chapter 1 last week? And it's very basic. You can just... <laughs> no trick questions here. 
God's creative. Ah, God's creative. Okay. Huh? What else? What is Genesis chapter 1? If someone hasn't read it before, what, is, what does it cover? He's a triune God also. Okay. There is, seems to be, yes, not to put words in your mouth, um, there seems to be, they say us. <laughs> he says us at some point. And so we're going to try and figure out what us means uh, when it comes to God speaking through Genesis. <clears throat> Yeah, this is, you know, right at the beginning, the creation of what? Creation account of? The earth, the world, the universe, creatures, all life. Perfect. Creation of everything. And Yes, excellent, excellent. Creation of world, universe, life, and most specially, what? Man. Mankind, yes. And as the account goes, each day has a pattern or group of things that are created. And at the end of it, God pronounces that um, uh, that, that is, is good, right? Um, and at the end of the creation of man, and I don't know if we've gotten to that quite yet. Let's see, did we get to that yet? Yeah. End of chapter one, and that is uh, man is very good. His creation is very good. So something about humans is set apart. Um, <clears throat> let's go ahead and read Genesis chapter two, and I think what I'll ask for is a volunteer to read the entire chapter, and that'll give us time to kind of break it down, talk about it, and what it means. So who would like to read Genesis chapter two, the entire thing? Thank you, Craig. Um, Thus the heavens and the earth were finished, and all the hosts of them. And on the seventh day God finished his work that he had done. And he rested on the seventh day from his work that he had done. So God blessed the seventh day and made it holy, because it because on it God rested from all his work that he had done. Okay. These are the generations of the heavens and the earth when they were created in the day that the Lord God made the earth and the heavens. <clears throat> when no bush of the field was yet in the land and no small plant of the field had sprung up for the Lord had not caused it to rain on the land and there was no man to work the ground. <clears throat> and a mist was going up from the land and was watering the whole face of the ground. Then the Lord God formed the man of dust from the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and the man became a living creature. And the Lord God planted a, a garden in Eden in the east, and there he put the man whom he had formed. And out of the ground the Lord God made to spring up every tree that is pleasant to the sight and good for food. The tree of life was in the midst of the garden, and the tree of knowledge of good and evil. A river flowed out of Eden to water the garden, and there it divided and became four rivers. <clears throat> the name of the first is the Pishon. It is the one that flowed around the whole land of Havilah, where there is gold, and the gold of that land is good. 
Bedelium and onyx stone are there. The name of the second river is the Gihon. It is the one that flowed around the whole land of Cush. And the name of the third river is the Tigris, which flows east of Assyria. And the fourth river is the Euphrates. The Lord God took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden to work it and keep it. And the Lord God commanded the man, saying, You surely, you may surely eat of every tree of the garden, but of the tree of knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat, for in the day that you eat of it you shall surely die. Then the Lord God said, It is not good that the man should be alone. I will make him a helper fit for him. Now out of the ground the Lord God had formed every beast of the field, every bird of the heavens, and brought them to the man to see what he would call them. And whatever the man called every living creature, that was its name. The man gave names <clears throat> to all the livestock and to the birds of the heavens and to every beast of the field. But for Adam there was not found a helper fit for him. So the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall upon the man. And while he slept, took one of his ribs and closed up its place with flesh. And the rib that the Lord God had taken from the man, he made into a woman and brought her to the man. Then the man said, this, is, this at last is bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. Therefore a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife and they shall become one flesh. And the man and his wife were both naked and were not ashamed. Thank you, sir. All right. Great. Tell me about Genesis chapter 2. What do you know now that that's been read? The woman was created. Okay. is the only account in any ancient Near East literature of the creation of a woman. What does that tell you? It's unique. What else? What does that tell you? In our class, we look at a few questions. Who wrote it? Who was it written to? Why was it written? What does it tell you that this literature from the Hebrews includes an account of a woman. It'll be important for some reason. That's it. It's important. Women are important to this culture. What else did you know? Yes. It was not good for man to be alone. You know, man needed a helper. Yeah. Needed a helper. Very good. And they were to be um, united in marriage. If, yep. if they become intimate, they would be united in marriage yep. and become one flesh. And that there would be a permanent hmm. relationship. Yep. Very good. Permanence. There is permanence. So the woman was not a servant. Yes. Even though Adam had authority because he named her, yep. but gave her woman the name woman. Don't but, think it was. Yeah, go ahead. Sorry. But uh, that they were in the intimate relationship where she yeah. was very important, although he had essentially, I think, headship. I, I 
personally don't think it's a um, accident that God, and you've heard, probably heard this, God did not take his leg or his head. He took his rib, which is, it kind of implies some kind of co-equal status there. It's not, yes, there's a hierarchy, but it's also not one is inferior. It suggests equality in that sense. What else? Interesting that, you know, God made Adam from the dust. Mm, yep. Right? And breathe life into him, and then, but then he made Eve differently. Yes. He could have made Eve the same way, but he made Eve come from Adam. Um, What you learn, if you learn Hebrew, and I don't know much Hebrew, only what is written in my study Bible, that the Hebrew word for man or kind is Adam. The word for earth is Adama. So, Adama. There is a connection. There's a word connection, and there's a connection, I believe, that this is not an accident, a connection of man to the ground. And we know that because Adam was created from the ground. Man has a connection to the earth. What else do you know from this passage? Talked about the rivers and the yeah. vegetation. Mm-hmm. So. Yeah. What does that what does that tell you about what the author is trying to communicate here? Why include that? That gives you a description of the way the land was. Uh, yes. It essentially tells you how the land was watered. Okay. And it came from groundwater. Okay. And it wasn't raining from above. It's kind of a description okay. of the way things were, the way vegetation would grow. Okay. But there was moisture within the ground itself. Okay. Some mechanisms, yeah. Mm-hmm. Described as, I mean, it sounds lush and, mm-hmm. I mean, gold and, yes. you know. It's very descriptive. Why include those names? What? Why include names at all of rivers? What would the author be trying to say here? Tell you where the Garden of Eden was located. Yes. This again, interpretive, it seems to be important to the author that you know it's a real place. It's not Valhalla. It's not... Many ancient cultures have creation accounts, but they're abstract. The names of of the places created have no meaning to anyone ever. They're made up. It seems an effort has been made by the Holy Spirit through the authors of the Bible to tell you, no, this is real. This is a real place that was somewhere on earth. Of course, now we don't know, and you can only speculate, and it will be impossible to find it until um, until God reveals it to us. But it is a real place. They want you to, to know that. <clears throat> and then um, there was the garden, but then mm. God gave man the, um, the job of labor and yes. the garden. But it was a work. Yes. This, you know, much is made of the big questions that people have in life. Why am I here? Where did I come from? What is my role on earth? Already, two chapters in to the Word of God, we have some answers to some of the biggest questions of all. Where did I come from? God created me. Um, 
Where did woman come from? God created woman from man. Where do the names of all the animals come from? We got to that, right? Man, Adam named them. What is the role of man on earth? They have dominion over yes. things on earth. Yes. At least that was the original. Yes. Over, and I'll say creation, but I mean earth. Man's role is to have dominion over the earth, over creation. Um, and he has been given a job. <laughs> it's not just a title. He has expectations from the very beginning, which is what? Yes, to take care of it. Yes, to work. From the very beginning, work is an essential part of creation. It gives a man something to do. That's his purpose. Your purpose, as defined by the original creation, is to care for the earth and take care of it and work. And the other part of that is that he gives man a job and he gives him work. Yep. And he gives him the six days to work, but he gives him the seventh yes. day to rest from his mm-hmm. works. Mm-hmm. And it wasn't because God was tired, it was because he knew that man needs uh, yeah. a day of rest from his works. So now we know where our time lines come from. And, you know, um, how do I say this better? Our. <clears throat> Our measure of time. And what I'm saying here is the week. <laughs> the seven-day week. Okay, um, Attempts have been made throughout history to abolish a seven-day week in favor of a different number of days in a week. Uh, the most recent, probably the French, in the 20th century, tried to do away with it and, become, and make a 10-day work week, or 10-day week. But all of that flies in the face of creation. From the very beginning, God has established a set of time for rhythm for man. It establishes a natural rhythm. Um, It's no surprise that the lunar calendar is a frequency of a seven-day week. The lunar calendar operates on essentially a 28-day cycle. That is four weeks four seven-day weeks. God has tied creation into itself. There are patterns in creation. We talked about that last week. There are many patterns. And they mean something. What Craig just said was one of those is that it gives man an expectation for how to live the week. Six-day work, one-day rest. Creation has been given to man to benefit him. It is also the patterns have been given to him to benefit him. Now, as we'll see thousands of years later in the time of Christ, the Pharisees get very upset about this very issue because they lose sight of why it existed in the first place. This is not meant to enslave us. It's meant to help us. As the children of grace in the New Testament era, we can appreciate this as something our Creator has given to us to benefit us. So whether you work seven days a week and take an eighth day off, or whether you work four ten-hour days and then take three days off, that's fine. 
you aren't breaking any fundamental natural law. You're simply observing what God has set out for you to help you work and rest, because rest is an important part of work, but work is important too. Also, God bless that seventh day of Yes. This is important. Yeah. So already, let's talk about that. We have what's called a Sabbath, and a Sabbath essentially just means a week. It's a, it's a Hebrew word that means week. It can also mean the first day of the week, which is why to a, a Jew or Hebrew, what you would call Sunday is the Sabbath, because for them, it just means the first day of the week. For them, that's a work day. And they would work seven, six days, and they would take the end of the week off, which for us is Saturday. Um, but what Craig is getting at is something much deeper. Already, we are seeing evidence that God is establishing holiness as part of his creation. Holiness. Something about that seventh day, that rest day, has been called holy. When I say holy, what am I getting at? So we're something that's set apart. And in this case, yeah, I heard something. What whole, Set apart in a religious context, right? Set apart in a religious context. What else does it mean? I mean, there's really no wrong answer here. I mean, essentially, holiness is a very descriptive and broad term. What else does it mean? different than the other day. Yeah, different. Huh? Like pure without yeah, you're getting, this is, there's many right answers here. Pure, without defilement, that's a great way to say it. <laughs> without dirt, stain, error, something perfect. Already we're seeing a weaving of holiness into God's creation. In the very beginning, creation was meant to have holiness as a part of it. You saw that too in in uh, verse 16. What did God say here in verse 16? And and 17 and 18 essentially. Well, for 16 and 17, excuse me. Is the the exception that Yeah. You can eat from anything except the tree of knowledge. Yeah. Yeah. Well, no. You could eat from the tree of life. Yeah. Interesting, huh? Mm-hmm. Interesting. <laughs> he didn't say anything about the tree of life. He's just said about the knowledge. How interesting. There's many things you could unpack from that. I think you could say that the rules are kind of a part of this holiness concept. Because you set apart something, you, you, you define, delineate something, and, and cordon off one thing from the other, now you can start to say, because of that, there are boundaries. This rules are just another way of saying boundaries. Okay? Why are there boundaries? Well, if you look at holiness as an important part of creation, now we see how that is an important part to set apart what is pure from what is not pure. In the case of the rules, God was very liberal. In the, in the first part of creation. He was. He was liberal in the sense that, what did he say? You may eat of what? Any tree in the garden. 
anything. You are free to do whatever you want. There is one tree. Another corner. Way over there. You barely see it. You're not allowed to have anything to do with that tree. Now, to man, mankind, and when I say man, I do mean mankind, um, he had a very good reason for telling man this. Now, what we say as children, when our parents tell us there are rules, what is the first thing that we think they're doing when they tell us we can't do something? What's your initial reaction? You want to do it. What do you think your parents, what are you thinking, why do you think your parents are telling it when you're young? To protect you. You might think that. <laughs> you would be right about that. As a parent, the parent was, exactly. To the that's exactly it. And the, and the child doesn't see it that way. They, of course, see it as punishment. They're like, they don't understand why, and sometimes they do. But you're right, Stacy. The child has their own unbridled will. Yeah. Ah. Ah. This is really important. Humans have, and the Calvinists are going to be very upset and stop listening now, free will. Humans have free will. They are free to choose in life. That alone is one of the greatest parts of creation that God gave us. And we must accept that. That that is as beautiful as the rocks and the trees and the stars and the heavens and the galaxies are, your free will is even more beautiful. It is. Because you are now, when God said he made us in his image, he wasn't kidding. God has free will. God can choose. God can make choices as a sentient being. You can too. You can too. But... Here's the thing about holiness. And this is, if you want to call it a natural law of the universe, you can call it that. You can call it a spiritual law, what have you. That like like a white sheet. A white sheet, if you want to think of it as being a pure and holy object, it only takes one piece of dirt to soil it. When it becomes soiled, it's soiled. It's no longer pure. In this case, this is an all or nothing proposition. It's either pure or it's soiled. There is no gray area here. Pure or soiled. You're set apart. You're either holy or you're not holy. Why? Well, that's just the way God made it. We must accept that. But with humans having free will, guess what? You may be one of those people that's very clean, who always washes and cleans and never eats your chili cheese fries in bed. Very specific example. (laughs) What's going to happen at some point? At some point, it is inevitable. You will cross that boundary and soil something. You will do something that is not pure. You will do something that in the eyes of God becomes unholy. Once you do that, once you do that, you are unholy. You have been stained, soiled, made impure. Now, when we get to the New Testament, remember, this is all prep for the New Testament. We get to the New Testament, we will find that there is only one and only way to become pure again and holy. And that is what? 
through faith in Christ. That's it. Receive his grace. Yes. For forgiveness yes. of your sin. Gospel. Yeah. <laughs> That's the gospel. Thank you. He took on the wrath of God in our That's it. For our lack of holiness. Yes. That is it. That is it. And why is that important? Because even back at the beginning, with humans' ability to choose, they will eventually choose to cross that boundary. And it can be accidental. Remember, sometimes people can sin and not know it. It's still sin. It's kind of like uh, ignorance of the law is no excuse. You're right. If I go 100 miles an hour down the road, no one told me I couldn't, couldn't do that, you'll still get a ticket, probably. And if you're going 100, you're probably losing your license. But, um, this is it. So we, now we see creation is special. We see man's role in creation. Very simple stuff. And this is, again, it's very simple because God wants to be able to communicate it very clearly to as many people as possible. But there are rules. There are rules. Now, we can talk all night about the tree of knowledge of good and evil. Um, but what is, what is the result? Don't worry right now about what it is. What is the result of it? eating from it or touching it. This is it. The result sin is death. Wouldn't that be nice? But you know what? There really is just one rule. Don't sin. I mean, yes. Yes. Well, it's yeah. like they had basically they could do any single yep. thing. Yep. That's it. Except and we can argue about, well, what about later? Is that the only one that would ever happen? Because all he's talking about here is just what you can eat from. He didn't really say anything else. And I like to caution people in this class. The, sounds eggheady. The absence of evidence is not evidence of absence. And what I mean by that is just because the Bible doesn't specifically refer to something or call out something doesn't mean it either doesn't exist or it's evil. And the example here is it doesn't talk about televisions and, and um, you know, uh, black holes and, 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 you know, dinosaurs. I don't think it talks about dinosaurs. It might, but depending on your definition of Leviathan. But essentially, because it does not mention those things doesn't mean they don't exist or they're evil. We don't really know at this point if there were going to be other rules. We know there will be or that he didn't say other things, but here for the food, eating, he's referring to this. But that's all it takes, right? That's really all it took, and that's why it doesn't really matter. This is the most important part. And you can see now the, the building blocks of the gospel are starting to be assembled here, right here before your very eyes. You have... You have creation of the world, you know, by God. You have, um, let me see here, um, and I, maybe I didn't write it, um, creation of humans in God's image, that's from last week, is special. There's a special creation and relationship, okay? There is a expectation for humans who have free will that they must be set apart or holy or if they choose to rebel to cross the line to do what they're told not to do to defy God 
the result of that becomes a soiled person who will die. This death is both a physical and a spiritual death. You will die. It seems as though that death was physical and spiritual here because of sin. If they don't sin, they will live. Now, we can talk all day about, well, what about the tree of life? And um, I don't think it matters. I think what matters is, well, the result is if you sin, you die, (laughs) whether there's a tree of life or not, right? So here we have the building blocks of the gospel being built right before your very eyes. Now, (laughs) this is the what if. If I sin, I will die. Well, guess what? Genesis chapter 3, okay? Any other questions before we go on to Genesis chapter 3? For comments? I a question yeah. about explain, going back to explaining some of the geography. Yeah. You very specifically called out the onyx stone, the resin, mm-hmm. the mm-hmm. resin, the gold. Do you think that's just putting that in place or context? Is there a reason like it was mm-hmm. called out that way? If I told you, you about the one yeah. river, mm-hmm. one location, oh yeah, and that's where yeah. the gold and all that stuff is. Mm-hmm. And yep. But then the other three rivers didn't get as much of attention. Mm-hmm. Okay. So I was just wondering yeah. if there was any anything mm-hmm. like that. I would I would go back to this question of of who wrote it, who was it written to, and why it's important. I'm kind of uh, you know of this this group that says. If it's in the Bible, there's a reason for it. Why is a six-day creation in the Bible? Why is the names of rivers in the Bible? There must be a reason. What would you say is the reason? I've seen two of the rivers. (laughs) Oh, okay, sure. Yeah, you've been over there. Well, that was one of the sources of water for the garden also, is the rivers. Ah, so... So here you get at something really important that it's hard for humans, especially in our modern Western culture, to to kind of accept. There is an attempt by God through the authors of the Bible to try and explain some things. Why are certain things a certain way? Well, this kind of what you just said, Craig, about the the water's coming up and watering the earth. I think it gets at why we started chapter 2 with this section on the dry ground. Um, There are people who say, you know, we kind of already went through, and this is taking a step back, we kind of already went through the six-day creation with the seventh-day rest. We kind of talked about the groups of things being created at certain times. And then we seem to kind of jump back. But I would say, I don't think we're jumping back to you know, the day when plants were created. Yes, this is probably, again, uh, Genesis being a collection of knowledge that had been learned over time, being put together by Moses, you know, many years after it happened. I think this is an attempt by God to explain agriculture. I think if you look at what is the point of man in chapter 2, he creates, he's created man already, Now he's going to talk about his purpose, and the very first thing man is told to do is to work the land. The oldest profession in the world is not what you think it is. It's gardening. (laughs) 
It's gardening. It's agriculture. And I think God put this here to say, I want to explain to you kind of the, the reasons that we build up to agriculture. It, there was no agriculture until man was there to work the ground. Here we have essentially the basis of civilization, which is agriculture. It's the reason why we can, we can eat and, and have babies and go be math teachers because someone figured all this out and we can grow our own food and we don't have to go hunt and gather and hope that it comes to us. So I think this is it. And, and so some attempt being made. But I also say there's also we have to be careful how much we read into well, what about everything else, you know? How were the plants made? And, and you know, how did the, the fish get made and the whales and this and that? It doesn't matter. I think that's a kind of a point that we say, look, there are answers. You may have received direct revelation as to why that is. You may have your belief system of why you think that is. We have short attention spans as human. There's already a lot of stuff here. God is like, I'm going to try and just make the basics. And... And just tell you that in his authoritative word. So um, I can tell you it wasn't evolution because you know a mouse can't become a whale. No. And unique genetic code, and it's very complicated. So they were all yeah. creative. You know, I mean, they all have their unique genetic code. And and not and that I think Craig is a is a perfect example of the natural world verifying what has been told to us by the Word of God. What, what, is, what does that translate to? It means that every part of creation is special. It has been designed by our Creator for a purpose. <laughs> you might not like mosquitoes. I hate mosquitoes. They serve a purpose in creation. You might not like uh, mice and vermin and snakes. And snakes. <laughs> <laughs> Speaking of chapter three, yeah. right. <laughs> there's a reason for it. And yes, uh, we all have our purpose in this world. So good. Okay. I didn't really answer your question. I think, you know, it's, it's a good question. Go ahead. The end of chapter two ends with there was no shame. Ah. You know? There's another real good one there. Um, creation, if you're pure. If you're set apart, there's no shame. There's no shame in holiness. There's no shame. I love that. God made a design for a man for marriage. Basically, yes. it's permanence, it's a relationship, yeah. and it's intimacy. One man, With one man woman. woman. Yeah. You know, one man, yeah. one woman. It's all there, the labor and marriage. I love it. You know. Go along with that, like relationships. Yes. Right. Like he ah. knows that we're social. He he said it was a good for him to be alone. We needed to be social. This is a root one, really. Relationships are a root of creation. They are a root of creation. Relationships were established from the very beginning, and not just man to woman, but man to the earth, and God to man. And now we see a. Another building block of the gospel coming to life here. It seems that God established the need for man's obedience to his word also. Uh, with, yes. Because his whole thing was premised on the condition yep. that he not eat from that one tree of yes. evil, or he will die of evil. It will be all different. I love it. Obedience to his word. Obedience it's established. Ah, uh, okay. Okay. Um, <clears throat> yes. The necessity for obedience. Yes. 
we see here now at the beginning of covenants, like kind of conditional contracts. The relationship is established, and then there are rules. There are rules that establish how that works. It's the same in the natural world as the, the rules of gravity or law of gravity. You can say, I don't agree with gravity, and you jump off that mountain, and guess what's going to happen, right? It's woven into creation. You can, and the physician can tell us all the messy things that happen, right? Uh, um, there are rules to creation, spiritual rules, that we need to follow in obedience, and not just obedience, but, you know, there's hierarchy. Again, God is set over man. Man has a, a responsibility to help lead the wife. Um, mankind is set over creation. They're here for a reason. There's reasons behind this. Here we go. Okay. All right, sounds good. Let's, we have about 10 minutes. Why don't we read chapter three? And um, I think we need to set the stage now that we've gone through the creation of man, the fall of man. Who, um, who would like to read Genesis chapter three? And we'll just do the whole thing here. Okay, let me hand this to you if you don't mind. All right. Um, chapter 3. The serpent was the shrewdest of all the wild animals the Lord God had made. One day he asked the woman, Did God really say to you, or say you must not eat the fruit from any of the trees in the garden? Of course we may eat fruit from the trees in the garden, the woman replied. It's only the fruit from the tree in the middle of the garden that we are not allowed to eat. God said, you must not eat it or even touch it. If you do, you will die. You won't die, the serpent replied to the woman. God knows that your eyes will be opened as soon as you eat it, and you will be like God, knowing both good and evil. The woman was convinced she saw that the tree was beautiful and its fruit looked delicious and she wanted the wisdom it would give her. So she took some of the fruit and ate it. Then she gave some to her husband who was with her and he ate it too. At that moment their eyes were opened and they suddenly felt shame for their nakedness. So they sewed fig leaves together to cover themselves. When the cool evening breezes were blowing, the man and his wife heard the Lord God walking about in the garden. So they hid from the Lord God among the trees. Then the Lord God called to the man, Where are you? He replied, I heard you walking in the garden, so I hid. I was afraid because I was naked. Who told you that you were naked? The Lord God asked. Have you eaten from the tree whose fruit I commanded you not to eat? The, rep the man replied, It was the woman you gave me <laughs> It was the woman you gave me who gave me the fruit, and I ate it. Then the Lord God asked the woman, What have you done? The serpent deceived me, she, she replied. That's why I ate it. Then the Lord God said to the serpent, Because you have done this, you are cursed. More than all the animals, domestic and wild, you will crawl on your belly, groveling in the dust as long as you live. And I will cause hostility between you and the woman and between your offspring and her offspring. He will strike your head and you will strike his heel. Then he said to the woman, I will sharpen the pain of your pregnancy, and in pain you will give birth. 
and you will desire to control your husband, but he will rule over you. And then the man said, and, and to the man he said, Since you listened to your wife and ate from the tree, whose fruit I commanded you not to eat, the ground is cursed because of you. All your life you will struggle to scratch a living from it. It will grow thorns and thistles for you, though you will eat of its grains. By the sweat of your brow will you have food to eat, until you return to the ground from which you were made. For you were dust made from dust, and to dust you will return. Then the man Adam named his wife Eve, because she would be the because she would be the mother of all who live. And the Lord God made clothing from animal skins for Adam and his wife. Then the Lord God said, Look to man, look to the human beings. Look. Then the Lord God said, Look, the human beings have become like us, knowing both good and evil. What if they reach out, take fruit from the tree of life, and eat it? Then they will live forever. So the Lord God banished them from the garden of Eden, and he sent Adam out to cultivate the ground from which he had been made. After sending them out, the Lord God stationed mighty cherubim to the east of the garden of Eden, and he placed a flaming sword that flashed back and forth to guard the way to the tree of life. What reactions do you have about that chapter? My first thought is that, uh, yeah, woman can talk to uh, to serpents. <laughs> yeah, that's yep. interesting. <laughs> my thought, my one of my questions I have when I read it is, I wonder how long it was yeah. until this happened. Yeah. You know, like it mm-hmm. feels like it's been away, but re- I wonder if it was. I mean, we're not told, so obviously it doesn't matter. But I'm just, I just, that's what I wonder. Because he also hasn't named her yet either. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. He has named the kind of thing she is. Like Adam means kind and woman means kind of out of the kind, right? Or one of a kind. Eve, which I think is shuva or something in Hebrew. Eve, I don't know, that's an English word. Um, I think means mother of creation or something like that. And I don't think people really know. It's a good question. Um, that's one of those issues that's um, also, we're not really sure. There is no mention made of the night and the day after the seventh. Some people say this is the seventh day when this happened. Who knows? Doesn't matter. I kind of like to say. What matters is what took place, and what took place. And what's the root issue that happened here? Well, Eve took hold That's right. through a spirit that was, you know, involved with this. Yeah. I think it was the presence of evil that deceived and lied. Yes. Uh, to uh, Eve. And mm-hmm. she was deceived. Mm-hmm. She believed the lies, and she believed the lies of Satan over the, yeah. what God told her. And we know this is Satan, because if you go all the way to the end of the Bible in Revelation, there's a direct connection made between the serpent in the Garden of Eden and Satan. So that's you know, if you have a question about that, it is Satan. Um, yes, evil takes hold. 
And how, how easy is it to take hold? I mean, it's quick, it's very quick. But he attacks the weak link. She's yes. more delicate and needs the protection right. of the man, and she didn't have his headship, and she went mm -hmm. out on her own. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And, and did it, you know, and, and was deceived by this evil. It's just an interesting thought that she ate from it, and then it says he ate from it, and that's when, mm -hmm. you know, so it, it evil had to kind of overtake them all before. I don't know if I'm jumping to conclusions yep. or anything there, but it does seem like it's very interesting that it says she ate from it, and then she gave it to him. Mm -hmm. but it wasn't until they both had. I guess, committed that act mm -hmm. that their eyes were open and mm -hmm. they were basically set apart and they recognized their shame. Many, he yeah. really assumed his headship, he just followed what right. she did. So many, many things have happened in a very short period of time. Right. Mm -hmm. um, there is sin, meaning rebellion. Already, man is defying the, he is not being obedient to the established rules or hierarchy of God the very first result of that is a division in a marriage. <laughs> Satan went after a marriage. That was the first thing he went after in all of creation. And, and if you think of it as a marriage, because by now creating sin in a relationship between two people, the first thing that happens is a damaged relationship. The very first thing is they start blaming each other for this, right? There's no... The grace, the love is already damaged, and it and it takes one, but the, it always takes two to tango. And I, you know, having counseled you know people, many people over many years, it takes two to tango. Um, sin spreads rapidly. Look how quickly it spread. Fifty percent of the population of all humans on Earth were infected with sin, probably in the first day or days after creation. Within five seconds, 100% of the human population was infected with sin. It happened very quickly. Um, man allowed it. He chose it. He chose to sin, knowing full well what he was told not to do. So this is not, he didn't fall into sin. He didn't have sin fall on his head. His choice was the root of sin. It did not get, he didn't get shot with one of those darts from the movies. Oh, sin got me, right? No, it didn't happen that way. He was given a choice and he chose sin. And already the fallout begins. As soon as the couple has sinned, what is the first result of that? And we, we'll wrap up here in like two minutes, but what is the result of that? They had a guilty conscience. They knew that they were naked. Okay. So, and, uh, they were, yeah. They had guilt. Guilt, shame. Yeah. They lost their innocence. Yes. Kind of a separation. It was that separation between them and God. Yes, yes. He had to go look for them. You know, this. This is another building block of the gospel. Sin separated us from God and it happened automatically. It wasn't like God said, I am going to hold a court of law. I've decided you have sinned and I'm separating. Our sin immediately separated us from him. It's a law of the universe. Immediately there's other ramifications and it went beyond the people sinning. What did the poor earth do here? <laughs> Nothing. What happened to the earth? 
dried up. It was what? There's a name here. It was cursed. It was cursed, yeah. <laughs> the, earth, the earth is just like, I'm just sitting here, watering myself. Immediately, we see the impact, or impacts of sin. They, they impact many more things than the people affected. It is, it is like um, collateral damage. Collateral damage. Sin caused damage to creation. Damaged creation immediately. From that point on, God's creation has been damaged. Remember what I said about the white sheet. If you consider, in this case, the white sheet is all of creation. And I'm talking galaxies, stars, planets, earth, animals, and people. As soon as man sinned, that white sheet was damaged. It was interesting in response to to when God, uh, you know, Adam responded by saying, "The woman who gave me did this." <laughs> and she's like, "Right?" He like, didn't want to take any responsibility. Yes. For that, you know? Yes. Here we go. We could. And then when he had confronted the woman, she she just said it was a serpent to see. You know. Have you ever seen the Indiana Jones movies? Like, um, what was the one with the Holy Grail? You know when the guy drinks from the wrong cup? Do you remember? You know, he chose poorly. You know what I'm talking about? It's like this scene where this guy, and long story, drinks this cup and he thinks it's going to make him live forever, but he chose the wrong cup. So he's like, hmm, how do I feel? All of a sudden, he like, you know, he's got bags under his eyes. His hair starts to, and all of a sudden, oh, his hair is like super gray. His eyes sink in. He turns to a skeleton and dust, right? His whole body completely collapses into dust. I think if you want to think of it this way, the sin that happened doop, on earth immediately spread to the entire creation and essentially all of creation started to crumble at that point. It became corrupted. It became broken. Um, and at this point, there is now, um, how do I say this, consequences. Conce- I'm writing a lot, I don't even know when it says. There are consequences. There is cause and effect, cause Sin, effect, damaged creation. Um, it was getting at your point, Craig. That initial sin, now what is the result? Well, then, okay, so you have the original sin. That led to lying. <laughs> that led to uh, cowardice, I would say. That led to um, deception. Say it again. Blame. Yeah. That's it. Yes. Not repentant. And here we mean like not owning up, not changing, not accepting you were wrong. I think um, the only other thing I'll say here, kind of the last piece of the gospel that starts to get put into place here, because I feel that this is a reason. God wouldn't give us Act 2 without telling us a little bit about Act 3. He puts it in Genesis chapter 3. It's not going to be fully revealed for, you know, depending on your calendars, thousands of years when Christ comes. The, the, the thing is this. I will, this is God talking to the serpent. I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and hers. Now, what is he talking about there? <laughs> He's talking about the offspring of Satan. He's talking about the offspring of sin and the offspring of hers, which is mankind. I will put enmity between 
the sin you're giving birth to, and the humans that are going to come after her. And a Catholic calls this original sin, but it doesn't matter. It's what it is. But he, he will crush your head, and you will strike his heel. That is a direct reference to Jesus in the New Testament. A direct. There is going to be an answer that even though this horrible, this wonderful thing happened, and literally five minutes later, this horrible thing happened, give it time, give it time in God's plan, there will be an answer to this. There will be an answer to this. And when that happens, and we think that happens somewhere around 33 AD, already in 33 AD, sin was defeated. Sin was defeated. We'll get to that. We'll get to that. And that didn't mean that all of creation was fixed then. It just meant the answer was revealed. Christ, and we'll get to this, the Messiah will come and save and redeem mankind from all of our sins, at least offering a path to redemption that you have to choose. Again, you chose your way in. You've got to choose your way out. And if you do, there's a free gift. Jesus, as your king and your teacher, and you as his disciple, you will become clean again. And this whole thing, if you if you truly believe that Jesus is who he says he is, oh, it's making it worse, isn't it? No, I don't know. Let's pretend that's not there. It's pure. All right. Any final questions tonight? And uh, they were also banished from the garden. Yeah. Banished from paradise, right? Yeah. And it's interesting that God put that, that he didn't want them eating from the tree of life and living forever and being in, living in sin and, uh-huh. and he, so in a way he was being merciful. Ah, uh-huh. uh-huh. that's a good one. You know, I like that. suffering a lot. They would be laboring in the like garden, that. sweating, having pain and <clears throat> disease and whatnot. Mm. For all eternity. And, and I would kind of add to that, you know, again, um, the creation that we have is in some ways a model of the heavenly realm. In some way, the garden, I believe, is a model of paradise, which is heaven where God resides, and that is pure, that is perfect. Because man has sinned, he cannot enter into the heavenly realm. In this case, it's paradise, which is Eden. He cannot. He is physically barred from it. Um, This idea of an angel with a sword, yeah, it's probably an angel with a sword, but it's much deeper than that. Um, you cannot spend eternity with your Creator if you are soiled. If you have sin, you must be reconciled so you can go back to Eden. In this case, a f- maybe figurative and literal things. And then the first sacrifice was made because God. Yes, I didn't talk about that. God, uh, in consequence of sin, that there was death, that God killed the animals Love and it. provided uh, yeah. skins for them. Cut cut Love it. That's exactly it. Got to get those skins from somewhere, right? right. The animal probably, you know, isn't going to be like, I don't mind, you know. The animal sacrificed. Yes, yes, already. So here you can see that the impact was now, it, yeah, what did the poor earth do? What did the poor animal do? I mean, he's just sitting there eating some oats or something, and all of a sudden, you know. This is exactly it, the sacrifice. Okay, great. Thank you for joining us, and we'll see you next week. Mm-hmm.